This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Check the coffee out, and they'll get free shipping, $50 plus. And you may, of course, uh, take advantage of their website, which is calibercoffeecompany.com. Well, a well, a well, a well, a well. You know, I've got a friend who, funny lady, she likes to give out the razzes when something is, you know, ridiculously ringing the towel. And I'm an imitator. She goes, oh, wah. Well, let me give out a big, oh, wah, to the Gainesville City Commission. Oh, wah. So you've got to cut 50, 60, 70 jobs. Whatever. What do you think you were in the first place? Infinitely wealthy? You'd won a billionaire lottery ticket? Who are you kidding? Whom are you kidding? And those people, it's, of course, not their money. You know, most of us, I think, Understand a very simple thing about life. I think, well, most of us who are Ward Scott Files participants live within your means. Stay out of debt as much as possible. Now, we know you have to have debt to get a house. And you have to have debt to get a car. Not everybody. But let's assume people do. Well, they get the car they afford. And by the way, the cars are becoming unaffordable deliberately on purpose by the climate change nuts. But you learn to live within your means. But... Government doesn't. The number one item on Ted Yoho's list of concerns is the debt. If you're not in debt, you can live a pretty good life. Now, you may not live in the Taj Mahal, but let's say you've got your home paid for, you got your car paid for, and um, you really don't want for anything. You don't go to the restaurants every night. But you have a nice dinner at home. You know, one of the foundations of that, however, is family. 
the older I've gotten, the more I understand the family as the bedrock of our culture. You know, I was like everyone else in the younger age, I suppose, but loose and fancy free. Okay, thank you. We're going to take a call in just a moment. But, you know, I was the same way. But as I've gotten older, family and friends and health. Ray Stern's on the line. I know the debt is driving him nuts. Ray, thanks for calling in. I'm going to sit and listen to you because you've got a great mind for numbers. Talk to me, Ray. Hey, Ward, good morning. <clears throat> you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the national debt. Um, I sat down with the debt clock the other day, and uh, my calculator won't go this high, so I had to do these computations. Uh, not just in my head, but with pencil. There is a million dollars, okay, a million dollars of national debt added to our national debt every 39 seconds. There are 3,600 seconds in one hour. We add to the national debt $92 million an hour. And if you transfer that or equate that to the daily debt, it's about $2.215 billion every 24 hours. Now, that almost seems like an unfathomable amount, but when you think about that, that's uh, about eh, $800 million a year. And when you consider that we're $32 trillion in debt, $800 billion doesn't sound like that much, but it is. And we keep on adding to it. And, of course, the higher the interest rate goes, right, the greater the debt service is. The greater the debt service is, the more we add to the national debt. The more the national debt climbs, okay, obviously then the greater the debt service climbs along with the uh, additional interest that we're paying that we didn't used to pay. So literally, and I, and I did that with a stopwatch, and I gave them a little benefit of the doubt. So there's probably a couple of million more uh, each hour that I've missed. But basically, we are about uh, $2.15 billion accumulation of the national debt every day. That's why I have to laugh when they talk about, oh, we saved $24 million here. Uh, there, there's no way we can ever pay this back. There is no way. And we, are, <clears throat> we haven't had a balanced budget <clears throat> since Bill Clinton in the mid-'90s. Now, when you have a balanced budget, that doesn't mean your national debt isn't there. That just means you didn't add to the national debt that year. You may even have subtracted a couple of million uh, because of the fact that uh, – uh, you took in more than you spent, but that's not what it is now. I think we've already spent 1.7 uh, trillion since Biden, not since Biden, uh, in, in this uh, calendar year. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was thinking that I think there's a line somewhere, Ray, in a country and western song that says, "For all the gold in Fort Knox." And there ain't no gold backing this up, right, brother? It's all paper mache. Yeah, it's called fiat money, Ward. There used to be enough gold and silver to pay off every 
Federal Reserve note. Uh, they started being called that in 1913. Um, but we still backed our, our money, monetary system, by uh, gold and silver. So you could go to a bank um, until the 1930s and get a $20 gold piece for $20. Uh, they changed the, the value of gold to about $30 an ounce. And it stayed that way until the 60s. And then when we uh, completely went off the gold standard in 1971, then gold started rising. Uh, you know, I remember when it was like 150 an ounce in the late 70s. And in the 90s and early 2000s, it was vacillating between, oh, let's say 200 an ounce and 400 an ounce. And of course, now we know it's close to 2,000 an ounce. But even at 2,000 and out, there isn't enough gold in Fort Knox to uh, uh, pay off our national debt. Or I don't even think there's enough gold in there to make one year's uh, payment on our uh, expenditures. So what the Treasury does at the behest of the Federal Reserve, they go ahead and uh, uh, print, uh, print T-bills. People buy the T-bills. And, uh, of course, when a T-bill expires and they have to pay off um, or pay back the principal, right, because all that time you're just drawing interest, they just simply go ahead and issue another T-bill to pay off the other T-bill. I mean, this is great. I wish I could do that. It is amazing. And Ken Hilliard is listening. Fiat money, cash, he says, is going away. And it's going to be replaced with a digital dollar. What's your thoughts on that, Ray? Well, I, I do believe we're a little bit away from that. And I'll tell you why. The uh, mafia and the crime syndicates, who also are tied in with our government, we know that. We know that back to the Reagan days. We know that from way back when, when the uh, mafia literally ran New York in its heyday. But they can't have that. Um, if you literally had all digital currency, that would mean you'd have a digital card or maybe an implant in your right eye, you know. You know. <laughs> like, like, like I hear you. I hear you. Movie. I hear you. Um, and that would be subtracted from your balance, okay? And when you got paid your Social Security or your government check or your business check, that would go on to your a debit card, and then every time you used it, they would debit it and take money off. I don't see that happening in our lifetime. I mean, it's a possibility, but uh, the fact is, is the cash is worthless. One of these days, somebody's going to figure this out. The emperor has no clothes. You cannot be $32 trillion in debt and and, and have the money be worth anything. Kind of like the Weimar Republic after World War One. I. I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but I've done a lot of reading, financial reading. Um, they say it took a real barrel of cash to buy a loaf of bread. Um, I don't know if uh, our listeners are aware of this, but in 1964, we took precious metals out of our coins, uh, quarters and above up to silver dollars were made of 90% silver and some other alloys, copper. Uh, I'm not sure what the other alloy was, but, uh, you know, just to prevent total wear. 
But our money was made out of silver. Our money is no longer made out of silver. And obviously, uh, we don't have $20 gold pieces anymore, but the uh, U.S. Mint does produce $50 gold pieces, but they sell for $2,000. So fiat money is when uh, your money is not backed by any commodity. Uh, and you know, for the last several centuries, we've used gold and silver. Indians use beads and wampum and tobacco. I mean, they carry that around like we carry cash in our wallet. It kind of seems silly when they talk about beads, but it's not any more silly if you think about it than precious metals. But the point is you have to have something backing up your money. And we decided on precious metals, gold and silver. Uh, well, there is no more gold and silver backing up our money. Uh, the Federal Reserve notes used to say um, until I think the late 60s. It used to say, uh, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private, meaning that people had to take it whether they wanted it or not. I mean, that was le- it was legal tender. But it also said, and may be redeemed uh, for, uh, I forget whether it said precious metals or for uh, gold, gold or silver at your Federal Reserve Bank. At a local Federal Reserve Bank. Said that, on, bank said that on printed money? It said that on printed yeah, money? Yeah, it actually said that on printed money. Now all it says is this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. It no longer says it may be redeemed for uh, gold or silver at a uh, Federal Reserve Bank. You don't see that anymore. So basically, what we have is fiat money that is backed by absolutely nothing other than the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. But the U.S. government used to have a lot of money. You and I being children of the 50s and 60s, nobody messed with Americans. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I mean, we were, you know, we've been, over our history, we've been pretty cruel to a lot of people, even our our own people. Um, You know, blacks were slaves. Jews didn't have it too good, as I remember. But nevertheless, we were the... uh, a beacon of hope, and everybody really wanted to come here um, to make a living. Now they're coming here for various other reasons, but I, I, I won't get off track on that. But uh, at that time, money was worth a lot, and people respected and feared the United States. Nobody messed with us. As our monetary supply becomes... Um, um, not liquidated, but worthless. Um, I think of the word I'm looking for. Um, it, it adds diluted. to our diluted, uh, right? Yeah, diluted. diluted. That's a, yeah. As it becomes more diluted, I think it adds to the lack of prestige in the world. And we really are. I mean, we, we don't live in another country. We only hear what we hear here, like what we hear about Russia, what we hear about China. We don't know what's going on over there. We just know what what they tell us, whoever they are. But I guarantee you that we are no longer held in great high esteem. And the only thing that keeps this whole thing together is our weaponry, um, in my opinion. Um, good, good because point. Because we still are the, we still are the baddest kids on the block as far as that goes. Of course, if we keep on messing with the military and making it a social experiment, we may not be. But, you know, mutually assured destruction is all that stops, really. I don't think people realize this is not a civilized world, and there would be people over here 
uh, telling us exactly what to do, and our resources would be outsourced to foreign countries. Um, just like if the Japanese had won World War II, instead of being our good friends and trading partners as they are now, there'd probably be uh, a Japanese cop on every corner and um, a Japanese consulate. And a, I don't think we have a president anymore. You know, we would be a satellite of another country. And all you have to do is look at the wars in Africa and some of these other countries and how Russia treats uh, and China treats the Uyghurs and other minorities. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, I really believe if something doesn't change, we are toast. I don't know how that would change. Even if a Republican got in, we are so far in debt that I don't think we can dig our way out of it. What would force the moment to its crisis in your mind, Ray? And by the way, uh, those of you who are listening to this conversation, Ray, uh, I'm going to squeal on a little bit, was a food fraud investigator in South Florida and has an accounting background. So there's an awful lot of familiarity with the government and waste that I know Ray has. He's been kind of shy about talking about that, but um, he has got some expertise in this. What, you know, what in your mind, I don't know if we've ever even talked about this, might force a run on the bank, so to speak, Ray, or um, that term wouldn't even be applicable. Well, I guess it does occur sometimes, but really bring it to a crisis because it the can just keeps getting kicked down the road. And I think that's what bothers people. Well, I think the biggest uh, instigator of that would be if we had some kind of a crisis with our electrical grid, uh, Brian and I were talking about this the other day. Can you imagine if all of a sudden all the lights went out or no traffic lights? I mean, we're like little robots in our cars. Turn left, turn left, go follow the arrow, maybe run the arrow, maybe run the yellow light, maybe even run a red light. But basically we do what we're told. Can you imagine if there was no order? If all the traffic lights were out, the lights were out, the computers weren't working, uh, that would that would be the beginning of it. Uh, the other thing that could happen is if inflation gets so bad, uh, then you could continue to have these riots that you see. Right now, they're just uh, vicious smashing grabs, but you could start seeing all segments of society smashing grabbing um, if. Uh, if the systems go down, uh, because really, basically, money is worthless. Uh, I mean, I laugh every time I go out to eat. I say, I can't believe they just took this $20 bill. Uh, and I'm glad I got them. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. And what you got for the $20 bill is uh, um, smaller in size, the hamburger, so to speak. Yeah. All the time. Small, smaller and smaller. That's right. You know, you go to the grocery store and, uh, a gallon is now 59 ounces. I'm not sure I understand how that math works. but Or, you know, think about this. I buy cereal on BOGOs. And even on BOGOs, it's expensive. You know, $7.19 for a box of Raisin Bran Crunch? I mean, think about that. You know, cereal was like 29 cents when we were kids. And even not that long ago, cereal was $1.29 a, a box. I mean, inflation is staggering. I tell the kids how uh, if you had a dollar and you went to the local uh, 
drugstore, soda fountain, candy store, whatever, uh, what used to be in middle America, you could not eat a dollar's worth of candy. And people look at me and go, oh, no, no, you're kidding. And I go, no, a candy bar was a nickel. Even when a candy bar was a dime, you couldn't eat 10 candy bars. Certainly couldn't eat 20 of them when they were uh, a <laughs> But the other day I went to CVS, I had a sweet tooth craving, and I was looking at the candy bars. And, of course, you know, I can buy whatever I want, but, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of penurious uh, uh, mentality that I have. So I'm looking to see what's on sale. And I see one of my favorites, Baby Ruth. If you bought three, they were a dollar a piece. Otherwise, they were a dollar sixty-nine. So I snatched up three, and I said, "Man, that's a bargain." And then on the way out to my car, I just started laughing, and I thought, you know, um, these three candy bars, I'd be holding sixty of them when I was a kid. I mean, people take this for granted. But it's hard to fathom. That a large three musketeer candy bar is now like two ninety nine. It's it, it, yeah, a gallon of milk is five bucks. So this is what inflation does. It uh, diminishes the value of your dollar. And I believe that because of fiat money and because of the national debt, of course, rising like crazy, which it couldn't do if we weren't if we weren't on fiat money. It, we just couldn't. Um, People's uh, spending power is obviously much less. Um, I got a, I don't know, an eight something percent raise on my federal pension. I'm glad I got it. I'm very grateful. But that was eaten up long before I got it, and um, it it hasn't. If anything, uh, I can buy less now with that uh, eight eight point nine percent raise. Uh, because uh, when they talk about inflation at nine percent, it's inflation is more like sixteen. Uh, I think sixteen point nine percent when you add it cumulatively. Um, right, you asked me a moment ago what this meant to me, and let me give you and the listeners and viewers a story. Uh, storytelling is basically what I'm all about, and recently here you may know that we've been re-roofing the compound and. Uh, painting the compound. It's about time. It's been, but it's about 25 years old. And so these things come up. And the workers, I overheard them, not the actual guys on the roof. They were Guatemala. And they worked like you would. They got a noise. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead, Board. Okay. And they work like crazy, but uh, they send their money back home. Uh, it doesn't really churn here too much. That's what they're doing, coming here and doing the jobs that our people won't do. And believe me, up on that roof right now, the temperature was amazing. They never stopped. Their bosses were talking about the problem with the value of the dollar and how much it was costing them to even keep those people busy because the dollar was going, you know, less far and the gas to get there was costing more and the food and all that business. And I was listening to the dynamics of that, even with immigration. And, you know, we got to have some immigration. The only problem is we don't, 
police it properly. But we got to have workers. We have them in the fields and all that. Even that's getting difficult. Think about that, Ray. That's kind of at the bottom of the whole economy, out of sight. People don't know when they go to the store what it took to get that apple there or what it took to, you know, it took all the things we're talking about. That's the on a, that's on a, that's, I'm going to use that term. That's on a banana peel too. That's getting problematic. So I've seen that up close. I've watched it as these people have been around the compound here. We know over a period of time where uh, immigration, even uh, the little bit of illegal immigration that we had, those people were absorbed into the underground economy. Uh, and they worked like uh, every time I see a roofing job, it looks like there are some very thin, muscular uh, men of Mexican descent working like, uh, like, like dogs. I mean, they work. They don't stop and take 14 breaks. Like the city workers I see here, there's nine of them standing around and one of them in a hole. Um, but what we have now, uh, since Joe Biden came in is almost 7 million illegals. And most of them are not going to work. Now they may eventually go to work. Some of them are at work in underground, almost slave conditions, sex trafficking. Uh, a lot of these guys came in here, I believe, are probably cartel members. Drug trafficking is increasing. Gangs are increasing. But but let's say most of these people are just good, honest, hardworking people. Uh, you can't let everybody in the country. That's not how it works. Um, over the years, we've let a lot more people in if they could prove um, that they were in danger of harm, uh, violence, uh, whatever, political asylum from where they came from. But otherwise, there's a process, and it's a long process to come to this country. Uh, and part of that is proving that you have self-sufficiency and people to back you up. It's always been that way. And we've had um, immigration halts. We had it in 1914. We had it in the 20s. Of course, obviously, in the 1870s, they had the Chinese Exclusion Act. But we have never allowed people to just stream over here. Uh, most of these people are on the taxpayer's dole. Uh, I, I mean, I, I read some of these comments on Facebook for these liberals about how vicious I am because I hate immigrants. I don't hate immigrants. My grandparents were immigrants. But unfortunately... We can't supply the whole world with food and comfort. It's like a bottle of Coke. You and I could drink from a bottle of Coke, but take care of our friends. We all get nothing. Um, on all these sanctuary cities, uh, Obama's precious Martha's Vineyard, uh, DeSantis sent them 50 uh, illegals, 50 immigrants. They had them rounded up and on a military base far away from Martha's Vineyard in 24 hours. You know, not in my backyard. We're a sanctuary city, but not anymore. We talk a big game, but we don't really come through when it counts. Uh, I just had a laugh at that. You know who started that, Ray? And I've talked about it on the show. They're complaining about, in sanctuary cities, uh, Governor Abbott and DeSantis and the like, busing these immigrants to those cities. Obama started this. I've reported on it. He brought in Middle East males. It's well-documented. 
into the Jacksonville airport, down 301 in the night, in buses carrying 80 or 90 per bus, six or seven buses into the religious compound there in Putnam County. And the next morning, after they went through a change of clothing, cars distributed them. I have this on, you know, fantastic, you know, documentation. Cars distributed them to all points throughout the United States. And this was the busing of illegal immigrants, Muslim. And one of the places they went. Look at Minnesota. Pardon me? As you always say, look at Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. And they, that's what I was getting to. Wound up in Minnesota, which is right now the home of the of the uh, of that group there of Muslims known as the um, I'm losing the name of them, the Squad. Is that what they call them? Uh, yeah, Taliban. Yeah. yeah. Now, so it's back to my grandmother saying, "It's who's bore at the cabbage." If Obama's bore at the cabbage and tore up the poor man's yard, uh, the poor man's not going to get paid. But the poor man, his bore at Obama's yard cabbage, he going to have to pay Obama, so to speak. That's what who's bore at the cabbage means. Yeah. Um, in other words, two-tier justice, you know, it, it's different. You know, Ray, we're at the bottom of the hour, and people are thinking you are – Ramsey Samurai. I mean, that's a doggone high compliment, my man. Um, you're welcome to stay on if you can hang out while I do the weather and until somebody else calls in. Uh, we'll keep talking to you if you want to do that, Ray. Uh, sure, I so can a little bit more. Hang out. We're going to do the weather. And I'm going to report on Hawaii, of course, because I have a friend who lives on Maui. It's going to take me a little while to tell that story, five minutes or so. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. The calling line is open. We have a guest calling and talking now. We're going to invite him to stay. You all are very interested in what he's saying. And we're going to cover the weather, compliments of Lewis Oil, and we'll talk about a wife from on it. Then we'll be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As the first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Melden Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Tonight's stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Melden Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are... 
crime prevention security systems large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ford Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! You're in the Manly Fort Hall Command Center. Ward's Weather brought to you by Lewis Oil, our great sponsor. Patronize them, Chevron stations, fossil fuel, got to have it. Don't buy into this electric car stuff. They bring us the weather, and the weather is hot. Here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, they say we tied a record yesterday. You know, I mean, just give you a, a litmus test for the bogus thesis that the world is hotter than ever before. The record went back to like 1918, when it was also 97. So go figure. Far fewer people, far fewer motor cars, far less use of fossil fuel, but just as hot. But that doesn't mean it's not hot now. And we do have more people and closer buildings, et cetera, all the above. But where the weather has been really stranger than fiction is a Lahania, Maui, Hawaii. The reason I know quite a bit about that and been watching it very carefully is my one of my very best friends lives in Maui. And I called him not knowing what to expect, and the call went through. And the reason the call went through is he's actually about an hour by car north of Lahania. So his cell towers are up. As I was talking to him yesterday, they were traveling by car. He had in the car with him a, another Floridian friend with whom he went way back who li- had lived in Lahania and had escaped 
with nothing but the clothes on his back and his cell phone. And my friend had gone to the edge of that horrendous scene to pick him up by car and take him back with him to his safe home farther north from Lahania. The city, town is destroyed. Burn up totally. The speculation on what started it, I talked to his my buddy's friend. His name was Jack. Jack said it started when the hurricane winds came in and dropped a power line and those sparks set it off because it was so, so dry in Lahaina. There you have it. Um, follow the story. It is very dramatic. Now we think the figure may be as high as a thousand people, many of whom simply died at sea. To get away from the fire, the roads were blocked. They couldn't go inland. The fire was so intense that they went out into the ocean not to come back. So that's my personal story. I'll be in close touch with my friend today. We go way back. We were roommates in the 60s, late 60s. And he's um, retired to Maui. And lots of people live there in Hawaii who are retirees. So I'll keep you up on that story. We're talking with another good friend of mine, Ray Stern, whose background is really in accounting and investigation of waste of money in the government when he worked as a food stamp fraud investigator. So Ray knows a lot about numbers and uh, decimal points and, you know, bank accounts and things like that and where the money goes when the government's got it. And uh, we've kept him on the line. This is call in Friday. You may call in as well. And uh, we'll have to work a way to get you on. But right now we're talking with Ray Stern. We've been talking about the number one concern on Ted Yoho's list of concerns, and that is the debt. But you can't really talk about the debt without bleeding over. I don't like that verb, but that's it. Into crime and into sanctuary cities and um, um, the whole bit. So if you have a question, I'm looking in the chat line constantly. Ray, what you want to go to, my man? Well, first of all, I want to tell you what caused the fires in Maui. John Kerry had eight private jets fly over there for a large party, and I think that caused climate change over <laughs> Maui. Oh, man. But other than that, you know, a little background. I started my career working as an investigator with what used to be called Health Educational Welfare, which is HHS now. I looked at social security fraud. I looked at the student loan program. I looked at, uh, especially university, uh, matter of fact, one of my first jobs was here in Gainesville, although I wasn't living here then. Um, I did a review at the University of Florida of, uh, grants that are given where there's plenty of money left over, but they spend it in the last week. If they want to use it all up uh, before the grant season starts again, uh, because if they don't use it up, uh, they'll give them less money next year. 
So they would go out and spend on a lot of things they didn't need or shouldn't have. And that was my job was to catch that. Uh, I also did a lot of social security fraud. Um, you name it, I did it. Uh, then I worked for an outfit called Child Support Enforcement. So they're Inspector General. When they passed the Inspector General Act in 1978, because I was a forensic accountant, but then you became a law enforcement also, uh, the Inspector General. Uh, I think everybody wanted to be like the FBI, so they got an Inspector General with fancy little credentials and a badge. It was pretty fun. Uh, I took that job because a lot of the work was in the Virgin Islands in Puerto Rico. They actually paid me to go over there. And mostly what we did there was look for, uh, that was at a time when aid for dependent children was being paid, uh, and they wanted the absentee parents to start paying up. That was also a result of Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty, which created more poverty, obviously. So now we have state, uh, we have since uh, 78, we have child support enforcement agencies in the state that make sure that these deadbeat dads uh, are paying some child support, uh, which is really due back to the state due to the fact that the the mothers, in a few cases it's fathers, but usually it's mothers, are not being paid by the absentee parent. And for the last 20 years, I worked for the Department of Agriculture, where I did uh, food stamp fraud, housing fraud, workers' compensation fraud, uh, and the big, big, big one was farming fraud. Because when Jimmy Carter came in, they started giving out um, these uh, disaster grants and loans, which were being abused terribly, uh, not being paid back, not being used for what they were meant for. Uh, So that's a little bit of history uh, on what I did. Uh, Also, I did some banking stuff banking stuff in New York uh, with banks that were uh, allegedly uh, arms dealing when it looked like they were um, paying for grain. They were actually uh, paying for weapons. So it, it, it wasn't just food stamps. Although food stamps was a big, big, big part of my job. For almost 10 years, I worked Miami food stamps because most of the guys didn't want to go to Miami. And I, I had family there and I loved it. Because I got to dress up like a hoodlum and, uh, <laughs> you know, traffic food stamp. Um, a real funny story is one time uh, this guy offered me some cocaine. I mean, I've, I've never done cocaine, don't want to do cocaine. And I told him that, uh, nah, I, I, I just sell this stuff, man. I don't, uh, I don't do it. And then they tried to set me up with his girlfriend's girlfriend who was hot. But you can't do that as a Fed. I mean, you, there's certain things you can't do. So the guy started asking me if I was a maricón, which means queer in Spanish. Not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with being gay, but at that time it had a terrible connotation. Anyway, uh, I did a lot of food stamps with him. And when we went back uh, to put the bracelets on him, he started screaming. And he said, I knew there was something wrong with you. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so anyway, that's that's some of my background. It was mostly accounting, but a lot of it was out in the field because I like doing that kind of work. I like going to the farmers that ripped us off and uh, showing where they had misspent the funds, literally cheated, and uh, you know, 
making sure they go to jail. He told me a funny story one time about a fellow who had several women whose money he made off with, but he was having those women uh, work. Can oh, you, that was the housing. Yeah, yeah. tell that story. That That's was, a funny story. Okay, that was in Baldwin, Florida, in a housing development called Baldwin Groves. And I won't mention the guy's name who uh, was the uh, manager. But he was, uh, you got these grants if you wanted to start or what they called rural rental housing. It's kind of like HUD in the inner cities or but this is in the rural areas. And that's all financed by the Department of Agriculture. Everybody thinks the Department of Agriculture is just growing beans. It's not. Uh, there's money everywhere. So anyway, this guy is totally unqualified. He got it. Uh, I don't think they had the term affirmative action yet, but he got that. He got that. Uh, anyway, he didn't get it for his qualifications. So, if you lived in one of these uh, complexes, if you were a tenant, it was based usually on your income. Some had no income, and then there was a sliding scale if you had income. And then if you had too much income, you weren't eligible at all. But if you really, really were poor, literally had nothing, you also got what they called a deep subsidy, which meant not only will we pay for your rent, but we will pay for your electricity. Okay? so. Part of my job is to see the living arrangements of people. Uh, can't always do all that during the day. So I was <laughs> I was out at night, you know, checking up on uh, uh, individuals, you know, going door to door, trying to see who lived where, see if there were any males that, you know, weren't uh, accounted for. Because if you lived in one of those places, you were supposed to be listed as a tenant and your income was supposed to count. And you'd be surprised how many men were living with women. Usually not the other way around, but the women were the tenants. So anyway, I, I found out a lot of that. Well, the owner of the place called uh, his congressman, who called my inspector general to say that I was, I'm not going to make fun of the way he said it, but he said that I was lurking and harassing the tenants. So I got a call the next day from the inspector general. He got a laugh. And he said, I didn't see that you put in any overtime the other night. And I said, no. I, said I, you know, I don't charge for overtime. I had nothing better to do in the evening. So uh, he says, well, I understand you've been lurking through windows and harassing people. And, you know, we just cracked up. Well, it turned out with one of the young ladies that was getting deep subsidy. So her rent is paid for and her utilities are paid for, right? Well, uh, we would get these large computer dumps. Remember the uh, little green and white paper that came out of a roller? And yeah, you have to yeah. Get it yourself. And we would check people's incomes. You know, we would get that from the State Department of Employment. Uh, so um, I'm checking the tenants in this apartment, and this one young lady was uh, an LPN. I mean, you know, she wasn't RN, but she's making okay money. Very nice young woman. And I went to her and I asked her uh, why her rent was free. So she said that um, Mr. So-and-so um, told her that uh, she was entitled to it. So I said, do you realize you're getting deep subsidy? And she says, oh, yeah. 
I, I give deep subsidy. And I said, what are you talking about? So she said, well, uh, Mr. We'll call him Mr. P. Mr. P, I have sex with him, only she used another word. <laughs> I, I said, you got to be kidding me. So she said, yeah, he said he'd take care of it. He pays my snuff. And he pays my rent, my utilities. And I said, no, dear, the federal taxpayer is paying for that. So she said, I don't know nothing about that. But Mr. Page, he'd be having sex with a lot of the girls here. So I said, can you name a few? <laughs> and there were about, uh, oh, I don't know, about eight or nine young, uh, relatively attractive single females that, that uh, I think I mentioned the guy's name by accident, but it doesn't matter. He's probably dead now. Uh, and it's true. Um, so it turned out that this guy was having sex with these women, and uh, he wasn't paying for it. The federal uh, government oh. was. He just forged or fabricated uh, their uh, their income. Uh, he had her as unemployed. She wasn't unemployed. She was working in a hospital and several others, including a dental assistant. So that's just one. You just you just wouldn't believe the way people rip off the government and people think that uh, these criminals are stupid. They're not. They're uh, well, some of them are. Like that farmer that I told you about that uh, had gotten all that money and blown it on literally cars, boats. Uh, not women, he was married and he had kids, but he went through $3 million. And that was at a time when interest rates were 15% and the government was only charging 3% on these loans. Well, this moron didn't even pay back his 3% interest. That's how he caught my eye. And when I went out there uh, to visit with him to find his security properties, it's called chattel, stuff that we own. Uh, in other words, we have a lien on all your property when you have our money. So he had a couple of John Deere tractors that were missing, and I wanted to know where they were. And uh, the county supervisor, these guys are all hicks. They're not accountants. Uh, they, they, you know, they weren't. They were meant to help people, help people with farming practices. They weren't supposed to uh, be financial advisors. These guys had agricultural degrees. So anyway, make a long story short, it turns out that he sold these tractors in uh, uh, Manatee County. He lived in Sarasota County, and he filed for an insurance claim for them. Uh, but the cops uh, were notified by the insurance company what happened, and they told the guy to rescind his claim or he'd be arrested. But then that was the end of it. So I'm trying to find out where the insurance money was for these uh Tractors and the guys heaven and hawing. So I talked to the police down there and they told me what happened. They thought it was pretty funny. And I went back to the guy um, a couple of days later. He didn't like me. I didn't particularly care for him. And he was pitching hay with a pitchfork. <laughs> oh. And I said to the guy, I said to him, it is really a shame. You, you know, all this stuff happened to you all at once. I said, then on top of that, you got those tractors stolen. And I said, you didn't even get insurance for it. And I could tell he's sweating a little bit, even more than you would normally. And he's picking up the pace on, on, on uh, what you would call it, uh, pitching that hay. So I said to him, well, tell me, how much are they getting for stolen John Deere 2320s down in Manatee County? And oh, the guy uh, reared back <laughs> and he had a pitchfork at me. And I backed up and I said, do not 
come to a gunfight with a pitchfork. <laughs> and the, guy, the guy started crying war. He said his daddy-in-law was going to whoop him. Uh, I was I was causing him a divorce. And I said, I'm not causing you anything, pal. I said, you took the money. You squandered it. You didn't pay it back. You didn't even have the disasters you claimed because I had all kinds of witnesses. But anyway, that night he shows up in my motel room with the shoebox of what appeared to be, I don't know, 10 or 20 grand. He told me it was 20 grand in there. And if I take it, he'd just forget everything. I mean, I actually just forget everything. And I think that's 40 years ago. I think today we would have immediately had him arrested. But uh, I just told him to go home and sleep it off. I said, it's a bad idea for you. And I said, I'm not taking any money. I said, and even if I wanted to, I wouldn't. I said, I'm not losing my job. So uh, he didn't get in any trouble for that because I, I reported it to my people, but we all kind of just laughed about it. He lost his farm. But that's one guy in one county. There's 3,600 counties in the country. And there's all kind of chicanery and fraud in food stamps, in loans in housing, in banking. Uh, we know about the student loan program. I did some of that also back in the 70s. Uh, I even went to a doctor's house because he wouldn't see me at his office who had been practicing for almost 10 years and still owed 28 grand in uh, student loans. And he was he got belligerent with me. He wanted to know why I came to his house. I said, because you wouldn't see me at your office. Ah. So uh, I, I told him, you know, that, you know, what he owed? And he said, well, he said, you know, I, I just don't have time for this. And I'm a doctor. I said, yeah, well, you know, I'm a federal investigator. And I said, I think you need to make time and you need to go ahead and uh, uh, pay the Department of uh, Health, Education, and Welfare their money. I said, because you're earning it because I had, uh, you know, gotten all his records. So he got a little fresh with me and I said, well, you, you don't you don't have to pay it. I said, but after my visit, if you don't pay it, U.S. Marshals will come out and arrest you. Uh. And he said, wait a minute. He went, he, went in, he went inside and wrote out a check for the 26th. And I wasn't supposed to pick up any checks. That wasn't my job. I was just supposed to make sure he knew what he had to do. But he wrote out a check to the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, which I, I did get uh, to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, you know, and he paid off his loan then and there. But that's what we're dealing with. And that was a highly educated guy. That was the guy that could pay off his loan. These new loans, after Obama came in, he said, make them health skeleton to all comers, regardless of their ability to repay or their ability to learn. I don't know if he said it exactly that way, but the university smelled blood because the banks, <clears throat> the banks were no longer on the hook. Okay? The Department of Education is on the hook for all these loans. We were the grantor of these loans. And that's why we can uh, just wipe out the loans at any point we want. Although you can't do that, but that's what Biden is trying to do. And all he's trying to do is get votes with that. But anyway, maybe I'll get a little bit off the subject. No, you're on the subject. Uh, and, uh, no, you're on the subject that people are loving the stories. Um, I'm looking at chat line. It's... Um, I, I knew that would be an adventure for people to hear you go through your uh, resume of things you've done because you've done so many unusual things, but they're on topic. I mean, it's a waste of money. It drives up the debt. And the government doesn't give a damn about collecting it. And the people know it until somebody like you shows up. They don't even believe there's anybody like you. 
<laughs> you know, well, no- the other thing, Wargy, huh? not just not just the individual food stamp fraud or the thugs that uh, buy the stamps for 70 cents on the dollar and then sell them to the grocery store for uh, 90 cents on the dollar. But there are a lot of these uh, grocery groceries, I think we called them in Miami, that are, um, there's no more food stamps, just a snap card. You can't say food stamps, you got to say supplemental nutritional assistance program is what I think it's called now. But these stores were turning in food stamps. They're getting a dollar on a dollar. They're making a quick 10 to 15% profit. And then, of course, you're allowed to lose your food stamps every couple of months and get them uh, uh, reimbursed to you. I, I don't know how that works with a debit card. I, I guess you could lose your debit card. I, I haven't done this in 20 years. But what people were doing was they were selling the stamps to the local uh, gangster, thug, whatever you want to call it, the guy that was dealing in food stamps. And uh, he would then take them to a crooked grocery store. Now, I never found a Publix or a Winn-Dixie or any chain store that I could, uh, you know, traffic, traffic stamps with. They were threatened to call the police on me, so I just left. But uh, a lot of these smaller stores were turning in over a million dollars a year. And when I go in the store, they have a couple of bologna sandwiches, a bunch of beer, some Slim Jims and cigarettes and soda. So they were literally just uh, food stamp trafficking mills. But the the worst part of it, board is most of these people were never prosecuted. They yeah. just like cockroaches went back under the cabinet and then came out somewhere else and opened up another store under another name. Well, I hate to tell you this, but we're out of time. And it's been a great hour. Very enjoyable. A lot of comments here. And uh, you've educated the public and entertained them at the same time. Um, and we will look forward to continuing this sometime. It's uh, really been a joy. And I look uh, forward to having everybody stay cool today as best you can. It is going to be, well, a little bit warm, but uh, ain't the first time it's been warm, contrary to what Joe Biden might have you believe. Thanks, Ray, and thanks for watching and tuning in. Take care, buddy. Warthog Command Center out.